Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Paradigm 132 Podcast. I'm your humble and gracious host, Rashad Horn. And on today's episode, I want to talk a little bit about higher education, but not in the sense that many of you may think. I came across two articles, one from the Futurist Speaker and another from Forbes. And what both articles seemingly stated was that within the next decade or so, they are predicting that roughly 50% of colleges and universities will close or go bankrupt. 50%. 50%. That's a very, very large number. Um, prior to COVID, um, if you've, you know, just read, maybe you come across an article or something, or maybe a headline may come up where a university may be in some financial trouble or maybe there was some mismanagement of funds by individuals that were in charge of that. Well, an event like COVID exacerbates that. It it really shines light on things like that. Because not only do we have a situation where even if a vaccine is uh, administer, you're still going to have instances and you're still going to have individuals that may feel that, hey, you know, even though we're seemingly free to go back and interact interact with one another, I still feel like I need to take, you know, my space. So another thing that these articles uh, pointed out were that the explosion in virtual learning is going to increase. Um, According to the Forbes article, which is titled, Will Half of Our Colleges Really Close in the Next Decade? uh, Written by Michael B. Horn, who's a senior contributor. They spoke about that at the time of this article, which this article was written December 13, 2018, which it's two years old, but the data presented um, holds true. Uh, at the time of this article, it spoke that roughly 20% um, of students are enrolled in mostly online programs, right? Mostly online programs. Um, and this that's, that's going to increase. Um, we have uh, individuals who have certain sets of skills that they're offers they're offering courses and certificates not in accredited universities but they're offering courses and certificates to help people learn skills that are going to help prepare them and while reading the other article from again the futuristic speaker Uh, It talked about how, and this article uh, was written by Thomas Frey on July 5th, 2013. And one of the things that 
stood out to me about this particular article was that they talked about what he talked about as, and this is um, an actual statement from the article. It states, when demand for education increased, they simply built more colleges, thousands of them, in fact, all over the world. Okay, so we can kind of attest to that. Um, prior to a lot of things, you obviously judge your academic-based universities. Uh, you have your centrally tech-based universities, law, um, you know, your trade-like uh, universities and community colleges that offer those type of majors and things of that particular nature. So at this particular point, in an ever-expanding economy, in an ever-expanding world, a lot of these universities are going to be deemed obsolete. They're going to be deemed outdated. And the thing about a lot of these universities, as I stated earlier, they were already uh, bleeding bleeding money um, to begin with. Um, Just to go back to the Forbes article, it talked about that there were many inst- many colleges that were given a discount rate of roughly 49.9% for first-time freshmen throughout the school year of 2017 and 2018. And later in this same stanza, it stated that a discount rate above 35% puts a college in a danger zone particularly when it is heavily dependent on tuition. So if you have colleges that are giving roughly almost a 50% discount and they're stating that 35% puts you in the danger zone, that automatically should make your antennas go up to say, hey, that's not the way it is. You know, that's not the way. That's not the way they need to go about doing business. But the thing about colleges and as uh the Forbes article again um brought out was the fact that it's essentially an arms race. All these universities are competing for top talent. Uh whereas the top universities, because they essentially label them in tiers, tier one universities, they're roughly turning down 85 to 90% of applicants and those 85 to 90% of applicants they're not dumb by any stretch of the imagination they just didn't make the cut so when they don't make the cut for tier one universities then they have to look to tier two universities and tier two tier two tier three and even tier four universities, a lot of times they end up, according to this article, they end up indebting themselves to create amenities that appeal to uh, not only the elite students that weren't able to make it into tier one universities, but also your regular uh, students who are applying even to schools that have acceptance rates that are, uh, you know, up above 85 to 90 percent right so but obviously you know our colleges they want 
the best that they can get there. And sometimes things like that have to uh, occur. I remember uh, an instance when uh, myself and three of my, my friends, we, we used one of our college days, and we went to one of the local universities uh, in state. And we were doing a tour. And so the tour guide took us over to the dorms in which the freshmen were going to stay in. And he was like, yeah, these are, you know, where the freshmen are going to be. And so I still remember, you know, looking at this like, man, I don't know about this. I don't know if I want to necessarily stay here. But obviously he talked about, obviously, uh, the freshmen had their own place. Uh, Sophomore and juniors and seniors, I believe maybe they shared a location in which they could, you know, be housed. But I think he said the freshman and the sophomore had their own distinctive different uh, places. And that kind of goes back to another thing that just kind of getting off subject a little bit. Uh, a guy that I was listening to, he was talking about real estate and some of the things that he did in rental properties because he said, hey, you're competing for renters. And so one of your competitors may have stainless steel appliances in there. And the renter may say, okay, well, I like stainless steel and you don't have stainless steel appliances, right? And the rent may be a little bit higher at your competitor, but they're willing to do that due to the fact that, hey, they got stainless steel appliances and it may be a little bit better. So he was like, hey, you know, I got to really realize, you know, look at what renters are looking for. And obviously I have to adjust tuition costs. I mean, not tuition costs, but rent costs to uh, execute or even come through with that particular plan. And so that's what, uh, you know, again, a lot of universities are doing. A lot of universities um, obviously can't do that, you know, due to uh, financial strains. And so one of the things that I notice a lot in the news, um, obviously with the new initiative or the new spotlight being placed upon black lives is I remember, I think I was, uh, I think I was in my freshman year at my community college that I attended and here in the state of Mississippi, the governor at the time talked about combining, um, all three of the major HBCUs, which are Valley, uh, Alcorn, and Jackson State, and just essentially putting them all on one campus, right, to, you know, save money. Because obviously in a lot of instances, HBCUs for the most part aren't doing as well financially as their white counterparts, right? And obviously what we know that can that is um, – essentially by design. So that's what he stated in my, my, my uh, relatives on my mother's side, they uh, HBC graduates, my mother herself, a HBC graduate, uh, you know, they didn't, they wouldn't stand for it. Right. So they, they spoke up and, uh, you know, quickly that plan uh, went to the wayside, but this was obviously back in 2008. Right. And so we're roughly 12 years removed and, COVID has happened, which again, like I say, is going to speed up the process. Um, going back to the 
Forbes article again. Well, not the Forbes article, but going back to the futuristic speaker article. Um, it talked. It cited one of the reasons that um, colleges could close is obviously the student loan debt. Uh, student loan debt right now is right is trailing right now. I believe mortgage debt, um, and essentially could pass that you know, in the next coming years, again, due to the the fact that schools are raising tuitions. Uh, according to this article, the 2013 average student loan debt was roughly $23,300. Now, obviously, that was seven years ago, and I believe it is it has risen above that. I believe it's maybe 25 or 28 last time I checked. So, you have that at play, and a lot of students are looking um, to the government to kind of ease these particular different things, right? So going back to this article, uh, one of the um, points that it made was that there's an increase in demand for online courses. So he talked about uh, this is coming from Apple. So Apple reported in less than six years Apple's iTunes U reached 1 billion course, reached a 1 billion course threshold, download threshold. Now, myself personally, I've downloaded some Apple uh, courses, um, and they come from a variety of different universities, their writings, lectures, you know, things of that particular nature. Um, then it talked about um, UDMI. U-D-E-M-Y. I'm sorry, I can't pronounce it. I think it's U-D-M-Y. But it talked about that it hosts over 8,000 courses for a base of roughly 800 plus thousand children, right? And they said their top 10 instructors have earned a combined course revenues of more than $5 million. So obviously with the advent of online courses it allows for you to reach out to a a greater audience versus the school you know the university audience of of students on campus um and another bold print that it 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 talked about was the seed of discontent so again this article was written in 2013 so these statistics are coming from 2012 so it stated that 284,000 college graduates, including 37,000 advanced degree holders in the U.S., were working minimum wage jobs. And that was cited by the Wall Street Journal. Minimum wage jobs. So the universal minimum wage now is what, $750 or maybe it's $825. Now, obviously, minimum wage in different states is, you know, a little bit higher based on, obviously, the cost of living. But you have to stop and you have to think that we have 284,000 graduates that are coming out of school and being employed in professions that are occupied by individuals who just have a high school diploma or a GED. That's a problem. That's a big problem because the GED holder, as well as the high school diploma holder, they don't have the debt that you have. They don't have anywhere near the debt that you have, right? So then it talked about out of 41.7 million working 
college graduates of 2010, 48% worked jobs that didn't require a bachelor's degree. And that's coming from the Huffington Post. 48% were working jobs that didn't even require a bachelor's degree. Wow. Okay. So um, it's a good, um, it's a pretty good article. I, I went through it again. Obviously, it talked about the, like I said, student loan debt is just crazy. Um, and for those who don't know, the biggest jobs in America are, are, in, are in retail. And what do we notice about the retail sector? The retail sector is faltering. Multiple stores are closing and a bigger online presence is taking place uh, due to entrepreneurship, mainly Amazon having a warehouse to essentially get you anything that you want. Now, obviously, some stores are going to hold the present on presence online because you still have people that are loyal to those particular stores. But the brick and mortars are, you know, going down the drain. Uh, the article said it cited eight reasons why over 50 percent of colleges will fail by 2030. Uh, overhead cost, which I touched on briefly, uh, maintaining the campus, obviously, uh, insurance, uh, phone security, maintenance, uh, repairs, all that particular stuff, uh, substandard classes and teachers. Now, obviously, just like students, uh, the better universities are mostly going to get the best teachers overall, not stating that at lower tier universities that they don't have uh, excellent uh, faculty, but obviously uh, good professors want to be at good universities teaching essentially the top tier students, right? Um, increasingly, increasingly visible rating systems, right? So this states that online rating systems will begin to torpedo tens of thousands of classes and teachers over the coming years. Bad ratings of one teacher in one class will direct, directly affect overall rating of the institution, right? So uh, my wife who currently in class right now, um, she, well, currently in uh, college right now, she uh, is taking online courses. Uh, after every course that she takes, they have a website they can go to called Rate My Professor, right? And then go in and they can rate the professors um, within the school and things like that. So it, it gives feedback, obviously. And, and if schools are, you know, I know they're combing through this particular type of data, and they notice that, hey, this particular professor is getting a lot of bad results and stuff like that. And people may essentially say, hey, but this person is teaching a class or a course that is required based on the major, you know, they could get them out of there, right? Or run the risk of losing students in the future. Uh, inconvenience of time and place. Uh, going back to the online thing, online kind of works with your scheduling then again like i said going back to individuals who are have the ability uh to teach uh skill-based things that are offering courses that are extremely extremely cheaper than universities uh they offer the work at your own pace right they have a lot of times they have pre-recorded material all you have to do is go back listen and apply what it is that they teach so you know if a person is working and things like that, and you may have the weekends off or something, you can just dive right in, 
catch right back up and do the same thing over the weekend. Whereas obviously if you're in class, you're um, if you're trying to work, which I used to hear stories about this all the time, people that will work at night, then go to class the next day and, you know, things like that. And some people make it out and some people don't, you know, uh, obviously the pricing competition, this is number five. And it basically highlights that uh, students have way too many options, right? For free as well as reduced um, prices for courses and things like that. So uh, that's another one. Uh, the credentialing system competition, uh, it states that, however, traditional systems for grant credits only works work as long as people still have faith in the system. Uh, it says this faith in the system is about to be eroded with competing systems, right? Um, and it stated that like I, iTunes, U, Coursera, and Udacity are well positioned to start offering an entirely new credentialing system. So obviously those particular different things goes back to the whole outdated system and the whole outdated way that they're doing a lot of things. Uh, number seven is states relationships formed in college will be replaced with other relationship building systems. So obviously um, one of the things that the Forbes article uh, kind of talked about was that social media has essentially grown us closer. And this is something that I talked about in one of my previous podcasts that if you're looking for people who have the same interests as you, you can find Facebook groups, you can start a Facebook group, or even better on Instagram, you can follow particular hashtags of individuals. You can comment on their stuff. They can comment on your stuff. You can exchange information. They can push you to a certain direction. You can push them to a certain direction and y'all can work together. But one of the downfalls that they talked about is it leaves a lot more people lonely and things of that particular nature. If indeed it becomes a situation where you're not able to actually meet up with these particular people, right? Which in a lot of cases, um, that ability is offered. Um, like when I published my book, uh, I took a course essentially, uh, paid, went through a course, six week course, learned the ins and out of the book game. And we had a big book launch, uh, together Had never met these people until the book launch. Great people. You know, when we met each other, it was just like family, which essentially we were like family essentially because we had been seeing each other essentially every single day for six weeks because we would have a, a morning accountability call and things of that particular nature. Right. So, <clears throat> This is a uh, number eight. It says sudden realization that the emperor has no clothes. Right. So it states education, much like our money supplies a system built on trust. We're trusting colleges to instill valuable knowledge in our students and in doing so create a more valuable workforce and society. But when those who find no tangible value begin to openly proclaim the emperor has no clothes, college will find themselves in a hard to defend downward spiral. It uh, goes on to say, ironically, we are entering into a period where the demand for education will rise substantially, yet traditional colleges are such a mismatch for what future consumers will want that dropping enrollments will cause many to fail. So that kind of goes back to the whole money thing, right? Um, some universities are in the financial position to just go out and say, hey, uh, this is a change in the guard. So, hey, boom, let's put some money over here especially schools with uh, large endowments, they're able to 
go out here and offer more um, things. Whereas student, whereas universities that don't have as large of endowments and are already struggling with enrollment, they are a lot slower to adapt to new things. Uh, that's one of the the knocks that I've I've heard individuals talk about uh, HBCUs is that uh, a lot of times they were created to teach blacks how to go work jobs that were available during the time of their inception. But in today's age, things are working so rapidly that a lot of times they are ill-equipped as well as other uh, essentially tier four, tier three, and some probably tier two universities that are not in the position to just change and essentially adapt with the times, right? And so the last one essentially is declining enrollment scenario, right? So obviously students to join, but each and every university isn't uh, given or granted that luxury. And so what they have to do, again, like I said, they have to essentially indebt indebt themselves so that they can feel, look more appealing to uh, upcoming freshmen, right? So it becomes the question, you know, is it worth it? Will it be worth it? Um, For those who have paid attention um, to the news, I saw that Apple and IBM were in talks with the Trump administration. Uh, We know that the Trump administration talked about that they were going to do away with requiring four-year degrees for government jobs and were going to be uh, more based on skills-based. And moving forward, we have to think that uh, tech companies are going to start doing things like that. And seeing is that, uh, like I stated, that uh, iTunes U um, had such a large number of, what did I say? Yeah, they had reached a billion courses downloaded. This was, um, again, this article was 2013, so roughly 2000 and, yeah. So six years prior to that, they spoke about, obviously, which would be 2007, right? So from 2007 to 2013, they had 1 billion courses downloaded. So basically, a lot of these companies, which I feel what they're going to do in the coming age, coming years and things of that particular nature to help address the um demographics and to increase diversity it would be a lot easier for them to essentially design uh courses that would show people the type of things that they need to have and maybe even for a a fee you could sign up for these courses um do them probably in a lot less time than four years a lot less debt and you could potentially have the ability to go work for one of these corporations or have the, you know, kind of looking at like, maybe like just to use him for an example, like Zuckerberg, right. Being around um, a certain aura 
and things like that. Maybe you possess the ability to learn things and say, hey, maybe I can go over here and a couple of my friends, classmates, we can go over here. We can start a startup. You know, we can start working on a startup company. And at the end of the course term, um, we could present it to Apple or we could find some angel investors and things of that particular nature and get the startup capital to really get this pushed or sell it to Apple, take take our money and try to go work on something else or sell it to them and still have a percentage of uh, ownership via stock or something like that, you know, that we can still get paid off it. So the the uh, the options are endless. Um, right. So uh, going back to the uh, Forbes article, um, he asked the question, uh, how many colleges and universities are there? And so they broke it down to three different categories. Uh, there are 7000 title four eligible institutions. There are 4600 degree granting accredited colleges and universities and roughly 2,300 four-year not-for-profit private and public universities, right? So we have a lot, and they weren't including uh, some other type of universities as well. So uh, it's still quite a lot, right? Uh, I know I was writing the other day, and I saw that a military university um, had closed, and According to, again, to this uh, Forbes article, he talked about how some of the larger state universities, what they're doing. Well, in the example, they use the University of Georgia system, and it says that it has been consolidating campuses for several years. And the University of Wisconsin system um, consolidated 13 two-year colleges into seven four-year colleges, right? Um, consolidations talking about in Alabama, Connecticut, Louisiana, as well as Pennsylvania. And it talked about the failure of um, uh, Education U, I believe. I think it's a Pennsylvania unit. And it talked about how it um, failed and it had multiple uh, facilities and it just closed due to a mismanagement of funds. All right. So, and it spoke that the hardest hit would be smaller institutions, particularly located in rural areas in the Northeast, as well as the Midwest. Midwest. And it's slated that roughly 40% of colleges and universities have fewer than 1,000 students. Right. So, and going back to the point that it made about the discount rate, that anything over 35% was put you in danger zone, it spoke that roughly 77% or roughly 738 institutes with fewer than 1,000 students exhibited at least three risk factors, such as high discount rate being dependent on tuition for more than 85% of revenue or having an endowment that covers less than one third of expenses. And it stated that that placed the survival in question. Um, it said if all 738 somehow failed, then the 25% failure prediction, which they said 
um, they said if that occurred, then the initial projection would be uh, surpassed, right? So it, again, it's going to ask the question um, as parents and things of that particular nature that have students going to colleges, um, what are you going to be your options? Because a lot of our parents, as well as some younger parents, their goal is for their child to go to school, but they, they're not necessarily looking at the the financials, right? And that's one of the things that I don't know if that's information that they're going to publicly give, but obviously if you're taking your child to a college visit, you know, you need to ask them questions like, what's the financial stability of the university, right? Because I don't want my child to start going to a university then midway through their sophomore year. Uh, they're like, hey, you know, school is closing down, right? So um, obviously, like I stated with the COVID, it's just going to intensify the already um, position or the, the, the thing that's already started. So it's just going to intensify it and magnify it, right? Just speed the process up. But it was already essentially, you know, occurring. So, and we are, you know, obviously we know that there are high schools that are also failing, you know, due to the same thing, just funding, right? It all, it all comes back to funding. But again, like both articles stated, the top tier universities, you know, they'll be fine. They can get other campuses. They have the ability to quickly set up online uh, hubs. And obviously, um, according to the Forbes article, obviously, worst case scenario, uh, the students that are on campus would essentially be coming from the homes of the top 1%, whereas the vast majority, 99% of the rest of the students would be doing some form of online coursework. So, but... That's another episode of the Paradigm uh, 132 podcast. Um, hopefully it was informative. Hopefully it it, uh, it helps someone to kind of uh, look at things a little bit more in depth because obviously we have the student loan debt that is, you know, embarrassing when we think about the return on the investment because that's how you have to look at things, right? And then also... Going back to the Forbes article before I get out of here, it also talked about, which we already noticed, that certain um, degrees from certain schools hold more weight than others as far as things of that particular nature due to the fact that certain universities have a lot more CEOs and, um, in, you know, manage, managers and things of, you know, Fortune 500 companies. So obviously when it comes down to, hey, should I – Am I going to hire someone that went to my alma mater or someone that went to uh, Booney <laughs> U? I'm going to hire the one that went to my alma mater, obviously, right? So, you know, we already know that. And I feel like something like that, that that's something that needs to be looked into and reformed as well because our universities should, you know, be looked at equal. But I may be living in fantasy land thinking that, but anyway, that's another episode of the Paradigm 132 podcast. I'll be back to you again next week. Peace.